You're listening to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and since 2014, we've been celebrating and commiserating with world-class experts, best-selling authors, and parents around the world. Hello, everyone. We're recording this conversation Tuesday, March 24th, 2020. I was going to share some of the top headlines, but I logged on to the New York Times and immediately had shortness of breath. All the politicians keep saying that we are in a 50-state health and economic crisis. At this moment, there are 593 deaths in the U.S. and nearly 47,000 confirmed cases in our country. I am on day 12 of a self-imposed home quarantine with our six-year-old and two-and-a-half-year-old. Sabrina and Eliza, they're thriving in these troubled times. They love all this time with their dad and mom. We started this home quarantine on the early side, in part because I am a very high-strung, anxious person to begin with, and I have been looking for all the ways that the sky could be falling, you know, my entire life. So I I am proud to say I was quick to take note of this one, <laughs> but also because my sweet, funny, handsome, strong husband is immunocompromised, and so I'm doing my damn best to keep our family safe. Today, we are turning to Glennon Doyle. You know her from her number one New York Times bestseller, Love Warrior, which was also in Oprah's book club selection. She is here to discuss these unprecedented times, as well as her brand new memoir, also a number one New York Times bestseller as of this week, Untamed. Here is a quote from that book. When women learn how to please, we forget who we are. When women lose themselves, The world loses its way. We do not need any more selfless women. What we need right now is more women who are full of themselves. A woman who is full of only herself no longer internalizes the world's memos and expectations. A woman who is full of herself knows and trusts herself enough to say and do what must be done and let the rest burn. (sighs) This book is full of chills-worthy moments like that. And it's also really funny. And I can't wait for my husband, Adam, to listen to it because she is able to put into words so much of my neuroses and so much of what I have struggled with over the years. And it's just such a relief to read someone's writing and and be like, there I am. That There's that part of myself I didn't really get or couldn't explain to others. Here it is. And here's a funny little example of the ways that it arises. So <laughs> I just can't wait for Adam to read this. He'll like have a, a whole new perspective on what it's been like to be raised as a good girl and what it's been like to shed that. In our conversation, we also talk about her marriage to Abby Wambach. You know that name as well because she's a two-time Olympic gold medalist turned activist. 
And so in our conversation, we talk about what it's like with their three kids at home right now, what it's like to be co-parenting during coronavirus with her ex-husband, what's what lessons we can take from this memoir that we can apply right now while so many of us are home and having to sit with ourselves and with, for those of us who are lucky enough, the other loves of our lives. I'm so happy that this medium that I have chosen for my art over the past five years with this podcast, it's the perfect medium for this time. It is a bridge for connection. (sighs) Okay, everyone, I'll be right back with Glennon Doyle. Glennon, I won't say that your new memoir, Untamed, has been my life raft this week because that's the opposite of what this book is meant to be. It's not a life raft. It's not going to save me from my anxiety and self-doubt and paralyzing fears. But your words remind me that I have the tools within myself. I feel like I've been swimming the English Channel and you have been on a little boat next to me with a megaphone reminding me of all my training, my grit, in my power. And I have been reminded that I am really, really good at swimming. This memoir has been oxygen to my cells. So thank you, Glennon Doyle, for coming on Atomic Moms. Oh my goodness, what an intro. Thank you. I have goosebumps all the way down to my toes. Thank you for that. Wow. I love that. So you wrote this memoir before we ever had heard the word COVID-19. I can't remember that time, but that is true. That is true. What is the defining message of this memoir, and why is it more relevant to this particular moment in our collective history than any of us could have ever imagined? Mm. Well, um, perhaps that we've got this one life, right? We've got this one life. We've got this one day. We've got this one moment. And we can't spend it being anything other than the exact women we were born to be. You know, I think a lot of us spend most of our time and lives and energy and money and stress trying to meet other people's expectations of us. And especially women women who are defined so much by our roles and whether we're being a good girl and a good woman and a good mom and a good partner and a good this and good that. And a lot of us are figuring out is that it is okay to want to be a good all of those things, but we have got to define what good means for ourselves, right? Because otherwise we are spending our entire lives chasing what I call an untamed, these dirty pink bunnies Mm. um, of ideals and, and supposed tos and shoulds that culture puts in front of us. And for women, all of those ideals and expectations come down to one thing, which is just, Stay small, right? Be quiet, stay small, be a good girl. Um, And that is why we feel exhausted and overwhelmed and underwhelmed and unseen and unknown because we spend our lives chasing what somebody else told us to be instead of just being who we are, you know? So especially right now in this moment where there are more expectations on women than ever. I mean, you know, the whole world explodes and then 
still we've got to do more, right? It's like, oh yeah, I've got my, uh, my baby sister. I mean, she's 40, so I guess she's not a baby, but she's, you know, working full time, trying to keep our business afloat. And now she's got two little ones at home who real quick, she's expected to freaking homeschool or something. Like I just, you know, I think it's an amazing, amazing time for women to just decide once and for all that we are going to stop trying to be everybody else's idea of perfect and amazing and just settle into who we were before the world told us who to be. Okay. We're going to get back to that in a minute, but I want to ask you about your co-parenting relationship with your ex-husband, Craig. You know, from the book, it seems like it is beautiful and thriving and honest and uplifting. But I'm wondering, how do you co-parent in corona times? Like, will your three kids see him anytime soon? Like, how do you control who comes in and out of his home? And how do you protect each other from this virus? Yeah, so I don't control him. That is something that I figured out actually during our marriage. <laughs> but um, but we are on the same page about this. And most things, we're on the same page about most things. And um, especially when it comes to parenting. So, you know, he's, I'm just, he, he's a person who has really always put his kids first. So we are completely, we were early adapters of the um, self-quarantining. We Mm -hmm. feel like this is the most responsible. The way we can love our community is to just not show up outside of our house. Um, Mm -hmm. And so Craig's at home right now at his home. He lives about a mile from us. Um, The kids are here and he comes over for dinner every night and he's not having, you know, he's only in his house. So we don't have to worry about him being in contact with other people other than us. And Ellie, if I have my way, I will get these freaking kids over to Craig's house at least within the next 48 hours. I am (laughs) fine with getting a break. This is a lot of freaking family togetherness, Ellie. A lot. I know. I've got a two-year-old and a six-year-old, and my my husband is immunocompromised. So we were also early adapters of the self-quarantine. And Mm -hmm. man, I, I feel your baby sister. It is like... You know, and by the way, everyone, my daughter's on two weeks of spring break, but this whole homeschool thing is also because with kids different ages, it's the only way to keep them from killing each other. Like now they just fight during transitions, but otherwise it's just chaos and mayhem. At least if we have a little like coloring pages and stuff, it helps. Um, (laughs) I'm really grasping here. I'm the least domesticated person on the planet, and I actually made homemade Play-Doh the other day. There's a lot of growth happening in my home. (laughs) Whoa. Okay, that is extra. That is extra credit. And I just, I am just begging every woman I know, all my friends and all the people, I just, we just have to lower our expectations. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just exponentially lower them and do whatever brings us connection and comfort mm-hmm. and nothing that brings us stress right now because circumstances I, are stressful enough. I think it will also be interesting to see what everyone looks like in a month if we continue yes! on the self-quarantine. Like, I'm so interested to see what people actually look like, you know, without yes. the hair dye, although maybe I'll get weird and get some crazy color. But I feel like this is also an opportunity for self-exploration in fun, weird ways because we're all home. 
I kind of love that part of it. I'll tell you. I mean, there are a few parts I love about it because, um, first of all, I am crazy privileged in that I work from home anyway. So mm-hmm. that part's not different for me. And second of all, I'm not going to, you know, lose my complete, oh, I have enough money to, to, to get me through this time, which is another wild privilege. Um, and then also I am a raging introvert. And so Abby was laughing the other day. She's like, okay, we've been self-quarantined for what was like eight days at that point. And has your life changed at all? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, not at all. So like, funny. this is what I do. I've been training for a global pandemic my entire life. Like yes. this waking up and just putting on pajamas is what I do. Ooh, so, so funny. In some ways, I am thriving over here. Yeah. I mean, we got to look at the the bright side, right? I mean, it's also dark on the right. news. And yes, we could, you and I are both anxious people. So there's a million mm-hmm. ways we could, we could uh, steer this conversation <laughs> into the darkness. But right. one bright spot is my husband is a screenwriter. And all he would do is complain about how he'd have to go to meetings and it'd interrupt his writing day. And he didn't get enough time with the kids. And so in a strange way, this has been a beautiful respite for him as well. You mentioned that your husband lives a mile away. I'm going to just throw this out here. I am guessing that my mother also lives a mile away from you in Naples. She has been practicing social distancing kayaking. And <sighs> I just no I just have to say that I am I'm I was so relieved to see you address some mom drama in this book because it creates so much misery for so many of us. Um, You share Mm -hmm. that your mother had concerns about your relationship with Abby early on, and you write, Mm -hmm. I'll quote it, it's not the cruel criticism from folks who hate us that scares us away from our knowing. It's the quiet concern of those who love us. My mom's fear started to pull me away from my knowing. I lost my peace. I became defensive and angry. I spent weeks on the phone with her explaining myself, trying to convince her that I knew what I was doing and that it would all be okay. Mm -hmm. So, so many listeners have had those conversations with their mothers. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you can share with us, how do we trust ourselves over our parents? Yeah, it's so interesting, right? I mean, I had to, um, I fell madly in love with Abby in the midst of launching Love Warrior, which was a book about the redemption of my last marriage. So it was a doozy of a time. It was scary. I had to come out with that news to the public in magazine, to my children, to Craig and Nothing was as scary to me as telling my parents. It is so interesting. I feel like we can be, we can think we're badasses. We can think we're untamed. And then we got to call our mama, (laughs) right? Like we all become seven years, Mm -hmm. you know? And I really think that's because of what I would call an untamed, one of these dirty pink bunnies, which is this expectation or this ideal we were taught, which is that good daughters, please their parents, right? That like, mm-hmm. that good daughters know, but believe that their parents know what's best for them, right? So that was a, a belief that I really had to un, kind of like rip out from beneath me and examine because my mother and I are, are ridiculously close. 
she's my closest person. We are, you know, we talk three times a day. We are ridiculously intertwined in each other's lives. She has always been my biggest supporter and cheerleader and friend. And um, so, and to, and to be fair, like she has usually, she has known what was best for me most of the time, <laughs> a lot of the time, right? So, um, so this was so interesting and it was, it was never like, you know, me, me, leaving their, my, my children's father, you know, her grandchildren's father and beginning a relationship with a woman was hard and scary for her also because she comes from a different generation. You know, she'd just over and over again say, but what are the kids' friends going to say? How is the world going to react? And that was so interesting to me because I think sometimes our families fear that the world will be afraid of us mm-hmm. means that they're the ones who actually bring the fear to us, yes. right? Because we, we weren't even getting that fear from anywhere. I mean, my, my kids have been raised to um, celebrate all love, right? No matter what form it comes in. And my kids have always known that uh, one of our family values is that you are true to yourself. And you just let the world catch up, right? So, so they didn't carry the fear my mom carried, but I knew that if I let my mom come to them at that time, they would see the fear in her eyes and they would hear the fear in her voice and they would help her carry it because they love and trust her. So, so at this one time, I was, I was talking to my mom on the phone and she's still worrying and calling that love, you know, and, um, I heard her say, okay, your dad and I are going to come to visit next week. This is back when things were still new. And I just heard myself saying, no, you can't come. Because I have to tell you this hard thing, mom, which is that your fear is not my family's problem. And my duty as the mother is to make sure it never becomes their problem. So go figure out your problem, mom. And when you are ready to come to the island of our family with nothing but celebration and acceptance and love, then we will lower the drawbridge for you, but not one freaking second sooner. And that moment, which was probably the hardest moment for me in all of this journey Mm -hmm. of untaming, um, was the moment that two, that a mother and a daughter became two mothers. Yes. Right. Yep. That I yep. stopped being a little girl, a good girl, and started mm-hmm. being a woman, a free woman. And and really, when I figured out figured out that, that many of us we don't become responsible women until we become disobedient daughters. Yes. Right. Because yes. Because we have this idea, but oh, but oh, I have to honor my parents. Well. Okay, then what is what better way to honor your parents than to trust fully the woman that they raised yourself, right? Yeah. Because by definition, your parents, all of our parents were, you know, they were creating um, lives and, and it for a different time, mm-hmm. right? Like by definition, every generation moves forward into a future that the past generation can't even fathom. And so if we're doing nothing that our parents don't understand, then maybe we are not living in the, for the time we're supposed to be, right? And if, and if our children are not doing anything that we don't understand, then maybe they're not stepping out as bravely as they need to be. So, 
it doesn't, it's not something, you know, breaking off this idea that we need to live for our parents or that our parents know best for us. Um, doesn't, for me, it didn't have to come with a lot of anger. There was no anger. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was a turning. It was, it was not an and, or it was, I'm sorry, not an either, or it was an and both. It was like, Oh, my mom disagrees with me and I'm going to trust myself anyway. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful thing is, and you know, it won't, it won't always work out this way. You know, I have had situations where people didn't come around and that's fine. But the beautiful thing is, is that we just, we, at the end of the day, our, our parents usually, if we have semi-healthy relationships, want us to be okay. They want us to be okay. And the thing is that no one's ever convinced another human being that they are okay by constantly justifying and explaining how okay they are and by arguing their case, right? Mm-hmm. The only way to truly convince anybody that you're okay is to just go go about being okay and let them observe. Yes. Right? And, so and I, I think eventually... Go ahead. No, go ahead. you go ahead. <laughs> no, well, I just think eventually my mom, I stopped. Like I told Abby, like I'm done after that conversation. Like I'm not, I'm tired of being like a missionary for our little family's island. Like I'm not going out off our island anymore to, to convince anybody that we're okay. Because when I do that, I'm not here with you in this like mm. joyful family, this perfect place. Um. So... So, you know, I, I, the, the logistics of what I said is that, great, mom, you and dad can come, but you're going to get your own place. You're not staying with us. You want to watch us from a distance? You want to, you know, th- so they came, they stayed in their own place, and they saw how beautifully, messily, imperfectly, but truthfully we were living and how deeply okay everyone was. And... At the end of the day, my mom is so happy <laughs> that I, you know, Abby, um, when she went to propose, she, she, she went to talk to my parents first and she sat down with them and she said, I'm going to propose to Glennon. And my mom burst out crying and she said, Abby, I have not seen my daughter this alive since she was 10 years old. And 10 years old is when I became bulimic. It's when I fell into alcoholism forever and and I think it was really like I lost myself at 10 and I found myself at 42 and my mom saw that. Yeah. You know, so it made her really uncomfortable at first, but I, over time I really earned her respect and she knows now that I'm a woman that's going to trust myself and that she can trust me mm-hmm. trusting myself. I also love that your little sister reminded you during that, after that first phone call with your mother that you are, she reminds, she said that you're a grown ass woman. And it's crazy to me because in January, I was trying to define this podcast, and I shared on an episode with Berta Bushnell, a midwife, that this is a parenting podcast for grown-ass women. And I was just like, Mm -hmm. ah, like, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. And so it's so good to hear you share this. I also love the idea of, like, who are we lowering our drawbridge for? Now, mm-hmm. I have to turn this around for a second, though, because I know that you've done, obviously, a ton of self-reflection on your own, you know, controlling needs. And it's very funny throughout the book, <laughs> like your attempts to control Abby. And I'm 
so excited for my husband to read it, especially about Abby being on the couch. And you say that she's relaxing at you. Like I yes. feel that to my she also core. exercises at me. She exercises <laughs> at me. She runs at me. She relaxes at me. Yes. So with the controlling thing, I'm now finding that getting directed back at my parents. You know, it's it's this strange mm-hmm. inverse need to control because a lot of our generation is actually begging our boomer parents not to go out, to take these guidelines mm-hmm. seriously. And like children, our parents are not listening to us. And because I'm the daughter, it, it seems like I'm just being histrionic. And I get this nagging mm-hmm. feeling that if I were a son, they might actually mm-hmm. listen to me. Um, mm-hmm. So I have sent all the texts. <laughs> In the middle of the night, I have done. I have sent them what to order, how they could prepare. I've done all of that busy bee work. At this point, Glennon, how do I give up that need to control those I love and that pressing need to keep them safe from afar? Because I've got to let it go. Yeah. So I mean, one of whenever I feel stress, like that kind of stress or panic. First of all, I just let myself stress and panic for a while because I never remember this until I've suffered (laughs) for a while. But right. I mean, never do I remember this until I've had a few days of suffering and then some kind of (laughs) breakdown. And then I remember that, that, that I only feel that way when I'm trying to do something impossible. Right. So, (sighs) yeah. So like what you just said is that how do I keep someone safe from afar. So literally impossible. Impossible. (laughs) And um, I don't know why some people are not taking this seriously. I don't know. It's infuriating. It's frustrating. um, It's baffling. It's also understandable because some of us we're all listening to different news um, yes. organizations and they're giving us, I can guess what news organization your parents are listening to. Well, it's like the only time in history that they haven't been freaked out about everything. Like said, you know, exactly. it, it, now people are starting, you know, as of this week, it has gotten bad enough that people are waking up. It might be a little too late in some circumstances, but I mean, a couple of weeks ago, it was sort of this blase thing. And you're like, what, since when in history has that news channel made something seem not like a big thing. Sorry. No, I mean, no, one of my friends sent her on this email that said that the best thing she ever did for her country was to program her parents' TV so that Fox News couldn't come on the <laughs> television anyway. <laughs> so that could start, none of them know how to use remotes. So if we just did that. See, it's like parental controls for our parents. <laughs> yes, parental controls. That's right. That's exactly right. We need to control our parents, and that's what we're doing. Um, but listen, I mean, all of that aside, like those problems are so deeply entrenched and are mm-hmm. so – the fact is that you are not going to keep your parents safe from afar. You're not going to mm-hmm. keep them safe from Fox News. You're not going to keep them safe from coronavirus. Like – to me, that comes back to my island, right? Mm-hmm. I've got a responsibility here, and my responsibility are, are, is myself, my wife. Craig will always kind of be my responsibility, <laughs> too, and my babies, mm. right? Like, I'm doing my part. I mean, I'm online 
you know, asking my community to stay home, explaining why, explaining that those people, those of us who have the privilege of staying home can Mm -hmm. honor those who don't by staying home, right? That um, generations have been called to greater things in the past than we are being called to here. We can do this for each other. But there is no part of me that's frantic about the decisions that my parents make right now. Like, that's just not my island, right? Yeah. They, too, are grown-ass adults who can do what they want. And so, you know, my it's not an easy shift to make, but it is pretty simple, you know. And what I just try to remember, my remind myself, okay, to feel deep loss, all of that. But the panic, that, that panic feeling, that frustrated panic, I can't control other people, mm-hmm. um, feeling always comes down to the truth of that is correct. Yeah, We cannot control other people, no. right? You know, Glennon, I feel like a dog. I feel like a herding dog who's like nervously pacing a pool and being like, everyone, family, get out of the pool, get out of the pool. And you're like, this dog is so annoying. No one's paying attention to the dog anyway. <laughs> like, just go take a nap, dog. Just go take a nap. I just need to take a nap. Um, I wanted to ask you also about medication and feeling all the feelings. Because I was on the phone with my therapist yesterday, and she mentioned that a lot of people are going back on their antidepressants right now. And you Mm -hmm. write, I am on Lexapro, and I believe it to be, along with all the personal growth shit, the reason I don't have to self-medicate with boxes of wine and Oreos anymore. So you write that. And at the same time, you write about feeling everything and that feelings are Mm -hmm. for feeling. So where do you believe the line is between feeling all your feelings and getting medication that helps? Well, I think it's interesting for, you know, I have been a clinically diagnosed person who struggles with depression and anxiety since I was 10, right? So this is a long, long road to me. And depression and anxiety can, can be situational. Um, they can also be a clinical ongoing diagnosis, right? And that is what I have. And that is something that I spent my life trying to understand. So to me, the idea, like it's such a, it's such a scientific chemical um, situation, clinical depression, that when someone says to me, well, how can you say that you want to feel your own feelings and then take depression medication would be similar to saying, well, well, how can you say you want to feel all your feelings and still take your insulin? for diabetes. Like they are completely two different things, right? One is emotional and one is chemical. Um, what I would say about, you know, it's the same idea when somebody says to me, you have such a good life. What are you so depressed about? And I'm like, I don't know. You have such a good life. What are you so diabetic about? Like, it's just, it's, they're freaking diseases. <laughs> like yes. they, they don't discriminate on whether you have like comfort in your life or not. Right. So there is that. And then I would also say to anyone with um, clinical depression or anxiety would tell you that, how do I explain this? It's not when depression starts to set in for me or anxiety, they are not, it's not feeling more. It's a lack of feeling. Mm -hmm. It's a numbness. It's a gray. It's like, 
it's like if feelings are all colors, you know, like anger is red and, you know, sadness is blue and excitement is orange. It's like all of those colors have just been mixed together, Mm -hmm. like on a paint palette. And it just turns to like a black gray and you can't even, it turns into lethargy and exhaustion. Or on the other hand, anxiety would be the opposite of that for me. It's like, it's, it's not lethargy. It's like panic. It's high vibrating. It's Mm -hmm. like, well, in the book, I just, I just described it as, it's like being Tigger and Eeyore at the exact same time. I like, love that so, so much. Freaking complicated and exhausting. I was like, like I was like, Glennon gets me. She gets me. I was wearing a bandana <laughs> to like protect myself on a walk <laughs> and trying to keep my six feet away. And I was listening to you in my ear buds, and I was like, oh, Yes, Eeyore and Tigger. Glennon gets me. Right. Plus, the bandana was so great because this was a few days ago before everyone really got the memo to stay away from each other. And the bandana made me suddenly intimidating looking. Like, nice. and it was amazing because nice. people like started clearing the way, which has never happened in my life as like a cheery blonde. And I was like, ooh, I have power and I'm listening to Glennon. And yes, I am both. I am Tigger <laughs> and I am Eeyore. <laughs> Totally. So, so I mean, I, I what I would say is I what I know about my medication is that I am just a deeply sensitive and a deeply feeling person, and that's what it is to be me, right? That is like what the experience is of being me, and what my medication does is bring me back to myself, mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean that I'm feeling nothing. It often means that I'm feeling all of it. Right, that I am no longer in this anxious state that's too high and jumpy mm-hmm. to experience life, and I'm not in this depressed state which is too low and heavy to experience life. I'm just it brings me right to the right level of um, where I imagine other people are, mm-hmm. you know, who don't have this depression and anxiety thing. So, you know, that's what I would say. I don't. Um, I think it's super dangerous when people who aren't fully educated about medication just start throwing out judgments or, um, you know, just the crap that people say, like without even knowing what they're talking about, just like everybody's medicated, just blah, 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 that people throw around. Um, I think it's really dangerous. And I think people should just shut up if they don't, if they're not the person who is in the situation or they're not the doctor, they should just really sit this one out. I mean, honestly, in all aspects of our lives, like mind our own businesses, our own business (laughs) or multi-businesses, because I feel like these days, another thing that women are pushed to do is have like five side hustles. So yeah, mind your own businesses. (laughs) Okay. Mind your own businesses. (laughs) So Glennon, you got to tell Abby for me that I listened to her podcast with Michael Gervais last year and she was so inspiring, but also it is all her fault that I started watching Love is Blind on Netflix last night. So oh, listeners, it's, so a, sorry. it's a dating reality series where the contestants can't see each other until they're engaged. They talk to each other through these this like opaque glass, they're like in these separate little weird pods. And I watched those first scenes and I was like, oh my God, we are all in little pods now. So oh my God, that's amazing. What do you say to the women out there who 
feel like they are in these little pods. They are being overrun and suffocated by their children. And at the same time, they are feeling so alone. And they, Mm -hmm. like, how do they, or we, all of us, like, how do we fall in love with ourselves under these Mm -hmm. bizarro, I mean, just straight out of an you know, another crazy Netflix show, like these circumstances are too weird. How do we fall in love with ourselves right now? Because obviously this is the moment that that needs to happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I am somebody who um, has dealt with many rock bottoms in my life, right? Like I've faced the absolute crumbling of my life inside of addiction. And that turned into the most beautiful gift of my life, which is sobriety. And then my marriage fell apart with infidelity. Um, and after years that turned into something that is this new blended family, which is the second biggest miracle of my life. Mm. The, the, the things fall apart. Everything is terrifying and absolutely suck. I think my life is over and it is over as I know it. Then if I stay with the discomfort and I try to stay open and I try to be creative and hopeful. Something beautiful begins. And really, you know, I'm, I run a nonprofit that serves women and children. So these days have been heavy and busy and laden with real need. Um, people can't pay their bills. People, you know, weddings and births and graduations and companies and you know, just so many things falling apart right now. And so there's real need and real pain and, and that's has to be addressed. And there's also this other thing going on, which is that it kind of reminds me of getting sober. It's like so many of us distract ourselves from our pain and our potential and our pasts and our people with busyness you know, with just running and running and running and going and going and going. And right now it feels like this, you know, it's like we're those. I think we're like the snow globes, you know, those snow globes where we just keep, we keep everything shaken up. We just shake them, shake them, shake them, shake them. Because we don't want the snow to settle because there's stuff. There's like our humanity and at the center. Um, and right now we just kind of have this like forced settling of the snow. Mm. And people are just, one of the reasons why this, this time is so painful is it's not just because of the terror of the global pandemic, okay? It's going on outside of our homes. It's about what's also, what's going on inside of our homes, which is that we are being forced to sit with what we are always trying to distract ourselves with from, which is humanity's vulnerability, right? The truth that we are never really in control. The truth that we can lose people um, at any given moment. Um, All of that is just now we are unable to avoid it, right? And that usually, even though that kind of pain is what we're usually trying to avoid, those um, truths are what tend to make our life meaningful, what tend to make us forget the bullshit 
and stop striving and stop chasing all those dirty pig buddies of awesomeness and perfection and all that crap and just freaking love ourselves for who we are in this one short life that we get. Um, to start really looking at our people, our partners and our children. And while they, you know, in the little milliseconds where they're not driving us that shit crazy during the day, like actually see them for the beautiful once in a lifetime gifts that they are in our lives, you know? And so, and I think that while this time means that we are not able to connect with each other in a physical way. I have already noticed people connecting more deeply in spiritual and emotional and mental ways than they do when things are normal. I mean, people are reaching out. I've heard from friends that I haven't heard from from years. I have, people are having conversations that they wouldn't normally have when things are more surface. People are realizing how much they need each other. And so while we're not taking any of that for granted for for once, right? People are realizing who they desperately need in their lives and who they could probably take or leave when this is over. Mm -hmm. There are all kinds of gifts that are going to come from this. And I, while we will struggle and while we will lose and while this may get worse before it gets better, I always think about the freaking miracle of the day that's going to come when we are all officially allowed to be out in the world and touch each other again and celebrate together and gather and dance and sing. And I think it's going to be, I think we are going to appreciate each other in unprecedented ways. I think that, I mean, we're human, so we'll probably all forget that eight minutes later and start like hating each other again. But for eight minutes, sister, it's going to be absolutely amazing. So I am, um, I've got my, you know, there's, there's the necessary action of this time, but the hope for the future is the fuel of that action. Mm. Right. So it's, it's important to me to have both all the time. Like there's no, there's no time for despair here because there's only room for action right now to help each other make it through and hope for the moment when we're done with this and we can start over with this new consciousness we have of how vulnerable we are, of how much we do need each other and of how much we can let go of all of the crap that doesn't matter. Glennon, in closing, how can we help Together Rising? Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, um, thank you so much for asking. First of all, Together Rising is my baby. It's just a nonprofit. And we have, over the last few years, raised $25 million for the most vulnerable, almost all women and children in crisis. And right now, there are a hell of a lot of them. So what you can do is go to... Well, I'm on, I'm on Instagram and um, I'm on Twitter, but I suck at Twitter, so don't even bother. Instagram <laughs> is my jam. <laughs> I'm like the soccer mom generation, so we like Instagram. Go there. I'm always putting updates there. We have this amazing system where we have a few really generous donors who pay our administrative costs. So every penny that's given to us goes directly to 
families in need, and we all, will always have updates there about if people can chip in. We're not asking a lot right now because we just feel like there's so much pressure on so many families. But if you are someone who can give, do come to Together Rising and give because they need so much that we're going to have to kind of up the donations to to keep to keep track. Um, but also, I would say, if you are a person who needs help, right? There are so many families now who, you know, have been givers for so long, but right now find themselves in a situation where they need a little help. And that's what Together Rising lives for is like creating this community where sometimes we're givers, sometimes we're helpers. Nobody's one or the other. It's all just in different seasons. So if you're somebody that needs help, come on over, fill out our form. We're working triple time to get help to families who need it. Glennon, I can't thank you enough. I can't thank you enough. This is a great, calming, wonderful conversation for this morning. You just, you just stay safe and healthy and do whatever you need to, to get through the day with those babies. I will. (laughs) Oh, they're having the best time of their lives. I just got to take a, you know, follow their direction and live in the moment and get messy. And I'll definitely look at my two-year-old's finger painting. And when all the pink colors mush together and turn that gray, I'll be thinking about earlier in our conversation and the ways that I can lean more into the brightness and the light. Thank you again. I love it. Thank you. Stay safe. All right, everyone. You can get Untamed wherever books are sold. We encourage you to check out the websites of local bookstores, see if you can grab one there. God knows we're all giving enough business to Amazon these days. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. And share this one with your friends and go to AtomicMoms.com and sign up for our newsletter. We are sharing resources and inspiration and fun ideas of things to do with your kids. And um, yeah, and it's a great way for me to be able to let you know when our next episode is out. Also, we are really suddenly embracing social media in a whole new way now that we're all stuck at home. It's extra comforting to see the pictures of you and your kids. So I'm having a good time on Instagram at Atomic Moms. Okay. Our sound engineer is Owen O'Neill. Our production assistant, Olivia Hasty, and our original theme music is by the Jeremy Turner. Until next time, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness. Rock on. Atomic Moms. <laughs>